I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 13. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about Paul's message, God's message to the Roman church. And I want to fast forward. Some of you have been following me. I know a few of you have been studying, even with your children at home, this book. I want to fast forward, though, this morning to chapter 13 because I believe it has a word for us. As we talk about the freedom of Christ and also how we are to live responsibly as citizens of the nation that God has placed us in. You know, John Stott some years ago said that we live between two worlds. We live between two worlds. The spiritual world, the world in which we have experienced freedom, and also the world now, the temporal world in which we relate daily. And that the two of those intersect in our lives. There are so many times... There are so many times that I would just like to go ahead and claim my, claim my kingdom ticket and go on and be with heaven, to heaven with Jesus Christ. I mean, don't you have those days in your life where you're like, God, just the kingdom come, come now, come now, and allow your kingdom to rule. And it's okay to have that heart, I think. It's okay to, to, to want to see Christ face to face. But yet, we know as long as God leaves us here, as long as we are a part of the things that are going on here on this earth, He has called us to live responsibly. He has called us to demonstrate His grace and His message. He has called us to declare His good news. And that's what I want us to see this morning, of how we are to relate to one another. This, this is what Paul says as he writes to this Roman church. He says in verse 1 of that 13th chapter, "...let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." But there is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For if he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I am thankful this morning that we have folks who are walking in from the choir and not walking out after reading that passage. Especially as I related the last couple of verses. You know, Paul is very practical here. I mean, he has identified who we are in Christ. If you've read through the book of Romans, and so many of us have read and and even over the last few weeks, we followed chapter by chapter in those early, those early moments of the Roman letter. We saw how God has made a change in our life. We are reminded that our first identity is in Him. We are reminded that we do have freedom, as I spoke about a moment ago. We have freedom because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He died for us while we were still sinners. We could not, we could not somehow uh, free ourselves Jesus Christ had to come and free us from our sins. And that is what Paul had been preaching, what he had been teaching up to this point. And now he takes that 
And basically, he says, this is how you are to live. Specifically in chapter 13, he says, this is how you are to live in relationship to the governing authorities. And he says, basically his message can be captured in two words. Obey and pay. Obey and pay. Like I said, I know some of you will try to use your child to excuse to get out of here for the tax part. But you need to stay in here today, all right? Obey and pay. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, let every soul be subject. The word there is a word of military deference. In other words, that you are to listen to what they say and you are to follow them. You are to obey them. He says, let every soul, every individual be subject to the governing authorities. And this is Paul's reasoning. Follow it with me as you read through this. Paul's reasoning is this. God has ordained government itself, the institution of government itself, for his purposes. Now, we believe there are a lot of institutions in this world that God has ordained. The home. We believe God has instituted the home itself as his institution, as something that he has a design for. Would you agree with me on that? The home has a design by God himself. And God purposed the home and the family. Also, we believe that God ordained the church. That he established the institution of the church itself. And thus, he has a design for the church. Would you agree with me that he has orchestrated and designed the church as an institution? Wow, I'm going to preach. All, they don't usually speak. I'm going to bring you back, Wayne, because... This is a quiet bunch usually, but they got an amen in them today. God also, according to this passage, has instituted this thing called government. And even though some of us have strong feelings against government, recognize that the institution of government itself is from God. He has a purpose for it. And he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I know what some of you are saying today. Some of you are saying, well, Brother Reggie, I, 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 can't, say that, I can't say that all authority. I mean, think about, think about the authorities that, are, that exist around this world. You think all of those have been appointed by God? I believe that God is in control of all things. And I believe that God can take anything or anybody and redeem it for his good. Now, let me say this to you. God can use and even use pagan rulers to accomplish his will. Look at the Old Testament. God can take them and use them for his will, to accomplish his purpose. So many times we take this passage and we say, yes, we will obey those that we believe are morally righteous, those that we believe are good people. We will obey them. But let me remind you of this context here. Paul is writing to a group of believers in Rome. They know as much as anyone else what a pagan ruler looks like. The emperor who's in charge at this moment, when Paul writes this to the Roman church, the emperor is Nero. 
the early years of the pagan Nero. And if you follow his life, I went last night and I said, you know, I had read some and I said, let me, let me just see what Google says about Nero. You know, you don't ever Google anything, do you? I said, I've read this book and I've read that book and I've read, but let me just Google and see. Oh my, the things that come up, especially toward the end of his reign. And we know it is during his reign that the apostle Paul himself, well, the apostle Paul himself gives his life for the gospel under Nero's reign. So let me put it in context of you. Even in the reign of a pagan emperor like Rome, like Rome had, Paul said, you obey. You obey. Because God has ordained the government itself and he's also appointed these leaders. Now, let me qualify it some for us this morning. I said to you that God has instituted government. The, he is he has conceived government in his mind as a way for us to interact with one another. We'll talk about a moment, in a moment the purpose itself. But I said also to you that God is above every government. If we believe that God ordained and we believe that God has appointed, that also means that God is above and beyond any leader in any nation around this globe, that he is in control. You and I need to be reminded of that. Hey, let me just say to you, I need to be reminded of that. There are moments when I see leaders doing things that I just so disagree with. I need to be reminded that my God sits on a throne above those leaders. And that instead of looking just at those individuals, my eyes need to be a little higher upon the throne which my God sits upon. Because God can take even pagan rulers and leaders and use them to demonstrate his glory and his honor. Again, if you look at the Old Testament, it is littered with different rulers that God demonstrated his sovereignty over and that God used. Think of Pharaoh there in Egypt who hardened his heart over and over again against the things of God and against the people of God and against the freedom that the people wanted to experience. And yet God demonstrated to Pharaoh and all of Egypt and not even just Egypt, but all of the nations that would hear about it. God demonstrated that he was in charge. And he used Pharaoh as an example. Think of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, a pagan king that God used. Unbeknowingly to him, Nebuchadnezzar, he is used by God to discipline the people of God. Babylon, pagan king. Cyrus. Go back and read the Old Testament about this Persian king, Cyrus, who effects the, the return of the people of God because God moved upon the heart of Cyrus. None of us in this place, I don't think any of us in this place would say, yes, well, we know Cyrus, he was, he was the evangelical of the Old Testament. 
I don't think any of us would say that. And yet God moved upon the heart of the pagan to effect the release of his people. And also, this is what I love about it. God even worked on him in such a way that he said, hey, you go back and I'm going to pay for your trip and I'm going to pay for what's going on when you get back. Isn't that awesome? That God would open up a pagan treasury to take care of his people? You see, what I'm saying to you is that God at least allows different rulers for certain moments for his purpose and his plan. And God can take anyone at any moment and he can use that individual to redeem his purpose. So here Paul says that we ought to obey. We ought to recognize the authorities that exist above us. We need to demonstrate honor and respect. It's what he'll say later. And yes, it is so hard sometimes. I recognize that even as I stand here. I recognize that this week as I worked on this message, it is so difficult for some of us to perhaps have a respect when we see things in such a negative way. And yet, God has called us to obey and honor the authorities that are above us. Look, I could start mentioning names here in this place. I could start doing it, and before I know it, I would see your face turn blood red just by the mention of the name. Oh, I know. I know some of you will. Some of us who watch... Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, too much. I could just see, just the name itself evokes a reaction from us. I stand guilty as charged, right? And yet, and yet, as we approach this weekend, we think about the freedom that we have. We must remember that we have a freedom with responsibility. A responsibility to obey. To recognize that God has placed government itself over us. Authorities. And that God can redeem those and use those. Listen to this in verse 4. As he speaks about the government itself. Verse 4 he says, for he is God's minister. Literally in the Greek it is that word diakonos, which means deacon. Now think about this a moment. When I was reading through and said, for he is God's deacon. Well, some of you aren't too impressed on that, are you? You know some deacons. You're not, it's not very impressive, is it? Be a deacon. Oh, I didn't say, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I just, they're calling a meeting on me, I think, this afternoon beforehand now, Wayne. I'm just kidding. Y'all got to loosen up just a little bit. I really am worried now. They didn't laugh at all about that. That's, what he, that's the same word. For he is God's deacon. He is God's servant. In other words, God can take that individual, even a Nero, even whatever else. He can use him in the overall scheme of things to bring order, to maintain civility. God has a purpose. So this morning I say that we ought to obey and we ought to pay. But 
I know it's not here. It, it would have gone well with my message. So I do want to insert it this day, even though it's not here in this passage. But may I encourage you at this point also to pray? Because that is appalling thought, and that is appalling instruction to us. He may not have given it to the Romans at that time. Remember, he's not trying to be exhaustive here. He's basically just trying to teach them, give them some things that they're struggling with. Over in 1 Timothy, though, Paul will state this. This is what he'll say in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I told you a moment ago that certain names can evoke emotions for me. Certain names can evoke complaints for me. Negative comments for me very quickly. But God has convicted me time and time again that instead of complaints... Maybe what God wants me to do is use my breath for prayer. That same breath I would use for a complaint, I would use for prayer. Because I've noted this, prayer is a whole lot more effective than complaints. Pray. We believe that God's on the throne. That's what we just said. We believe that God can use individuals, even pagan rulers like he did in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. By the way, Augustus Caesar, anybody miss that story in the New Testament? The supreme ruler, or at least he thought he was. The ruler of all of Rome. What did God do? Move upon his heart to send forth for this census to be had. Why? Because God had a purpose of getting his son over to Bethlehem to be born. God can touch even that one which thinks he is the supreme ruler of all the world and if we believe that why do we not pray why do we not seek him god move upon the heart of this leader in your own way that he might know you know your righteousness and maybe even though he may not realize it god he would do something that would bring you glory. Fulfill in his heart, fulfill in his life your plan and your will. To pray. Obey. And I think pray for the leaders. Why? Why does God again institute the government? He, he continues on. He says, basically... In verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4 again, he says, for he is God's deacon, his minister, his servant to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. What is he saying? He's saying that basically he has instituted government itself to maintain order and civility. To somehow prevent chaos. And anarchy? Government, when rightly understood, is there to protect the people and somehow to maintain the order of the day. Could you imagine what it would be like without no type of government order? No type. 
I mean, that people could do anything and everything that they wanted to. It would be the survival of the fittest, and it would be a very difficult world to live in. God had a purpose, a plan. He calls us to obey. Now, are there moments that God would allow us to disobey? Certainly. Remember, I say Paul is not pre presenting here an exhaustive theology, okay? He is just trying to address this church at the moment. If you take the biblical witness together, you recognize that there are moments. There are moments where the people of God stand against immorality. When they are instructed to do something wrong, then they must stand against that. But that is to all authority, right? I mean, God has placed authority even in the institutions. Let's, let's think. In the, in the home, parents are the authorities over children. I have a few people that still agree with me on this in this place. Yes, parents are. But if a parent tells a child to do something that is immoral... That child has a higher authority in God. You would agree. So in the church life, there are authorities. There are. You read the scripture, the idea of the elder, overseers, shepherd, there is authority. But if a pastor were to get up and to tell you to do something immoral or think something that was wrong, you have a higher authority. And so in the government. Now, let me say this very quickly because some of you have found immorality in things that you shouldn't find immorality in. I don't like 35 mile per hour speed limits. <laughs> Probably not immoral. I would like to think it immoral. But probably not immoral. Most laws... In that sense, we are not commanded to do something that would be immoral. But it could happen. Thankfully, we have the freedom in the United States of America. We, we don't have to face these choices. But there are friends of ours all across this world that face these choices daily. Think about the midwives, Exodus chapter 1, that were commanded to kill the newborn sons. And they said, no, no, no. Not going to do that. They did it in their own way, but basically they said, we're not doing that. And God honored them for that. Daniel, three Hebrew children, when they would not bow, when they would not bow to this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had for them, well, God esteemed them. This last week, as I was reading, I saw a law that had been proposed. Hoped to be adopted in Russia. Where the people of God could no longer evangelize, not even in their homes. Now, whether or not that law becomes reality, but still the law that... In those cases, I think we would have to adopt... The proclamation of those early apostles in Acts chapter 5. Who heard from the Sanhedrin council, the ruling council of, of the Jewish people. When they were forbidden to speak 
in the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus again. What did those apostles say? We ought to obey God rather than men. There comes a time if our freedom is infringed upon to speak the name of Christ wherever it is and for our people that we say we will speak in our homes and we'll speak sensibly and we'll speak truthfully but we will speak in our homes, in our communities and beyond. We're to obey unless the law calls us to something that is actively immoral. By the way, this weekend, there were a group of individuals some 200 plus years ago that believed that there were immoral laws. Go back and read. And they chose not to obey. And that is the reason we have freedom. But again, Paul says, most parts, even with pagan rulers, God has called you to obey. You must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Well, I've only left myself about five minutes to talk about taxes. Everybody says, praise the Lord. <laughs> Here, Paul just simply reiterated what our Lord Jesus had taught. You just pay your taxes. That's what he said very clearly. You remember when they came to Jesus? Matthew, I think it's chapter 22. They came to Jesus. They wanted to trap him because they knew that if somehow, if somehow he took a stand one way or the other, he would either be in trouble with the Roman officials or he'd be in trouble with the Jewish officials. And you love the way Jesus approaches these things, right? The people who come to him and say, hey, what should we do? Should we pay our taxes? Jesus said, hey, what, what kind of coin you got there? You got a denarii. Hand, hand me that. Hand me that coin. Look at this. He said, whose inscription do you see right here? And of course, the answer is Caesar's. And Jesus gives this great word. You give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Unto God that which is God's. So he says, you give to Caesar. You pay your taxes. Here, that's what Paul says. How practical, you know, so many people think, oh, the Bible, it's not so practical. How much more practical can you get on this than him just simply saying, hey, pay your taxes. You obey and you pay. You pay your taxes. We as Christian people, we as Christian people ought to be demonstrating what a true example of Christ is. I mean, let me go back to this a moment. In a place like the United States of America, where we have the freedom that we do, I think we have even a greater accountability before God, a responsibility. Because we do, no matter what you think, we do have a voice in our own government. So the decisions we make as a people, we're responsible for. And that is the reason not only for wrath should we be concerned about the government. He said, but also your your conscience, who you are and the way you live daily. And for us, he's called us to be the salt and light, right? Of the culture. We can blame it on all kinds of other people, but may we admit today that God has called us as believers to be the salt and light? 
We should never expect unbelievers to act like believers. But we should. We should expect believers to act like believers. And there's so many of us that what we need to do is we... Well, we need to start... We need to start shaking the salt out. And we need to start turning on the lights. And we need to be the examples we should be. And Paul just gives us one example, even in our paying of taxes. I may not like it. I'm kind of like one preacher one time that wrote on his little tax receipt. He, he just wrote on there, eternal, internal, infernal revenue service. The infernal. But God has called us to be the people that are demonstrating Christ. May, may I just suggest this? That a Christian, a believer, should be the best citizen a nation has. Just like a Christian, a believer, should be the best worker that a business has. So should a Christian be the best citizen that a nation has. That loves and wants to do what is best for the nation. That seeks morality and godliness. That proclaims the gospel. That lives up to the responsibilities. And that prays for our leaders. We have some leaders who are here with us today. And I guarantee you. They would love to see believers set the example of what true citizenship should be like. I guarantee you they would stop and they'd say, thank you for praying. Thank you for doing what you've been called. Thank you for representing Christ. God has called us to live between two worlds. To first and foremost represent the kingdom of Christ. And his freedom. But to allow that responsibility and accountability. To allow that character to flow into the culture that is around us. And then in that moment. As we seek him. Call out from him. Pray. Turn from our wicked ways. Repent of our sins. Then, God would heal our land and bring blessing once again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power that you've given this morning. Thank you for the spirit which resides here among us. Father, convict us. Father, help us to not only celebrate our freedom this day, the freedom that we have in you and the freedom that we have here in our nation. But, oh God, call us to the responsibility we have before you and the responsibility we have to live here in this nation. God, we need your strength to obey. We can't do it on our own. We need our strength, your strength, to, to pray the way we should, to pay as we should. God, I pray right now that you would speak to us as a people here in this church and to the churches that are meeting across this nation, that you would bring us back. And Lord, that there would be a revival, that there would be a moment of healing, that there would be reconciliation. 
Father, that we would see you do something in our midst for your glory. How desperately, once again, we seek your powerful, magnificent presence in our nation. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?